Hi, I'm Hadley Mears. I'm a historical journalist and tour guide extraordinaire, and I'm the host of the new Table Cakes podcast, Underbelly L.A. And I am Drew Mackey, producer of Underbelly LA, and someone whose voice you have not heard on the show before, because it's usually me and Hadley sitting at a table and Hadley talking and me not. <laughs> yes. Uh, but today I am talking because I'm going to be asking questions uh, to Hadley so she, she can tell us a story about herself. I, I, I think you've you got some cool stories and people would like to know who's been reading them, all these uh, seamy tales of gross Los Angeles all this time. <laughs> How does a girl from North Carolina come to care so much about Los Angeles history? Very interesting. Okay, so I'm from Chapel, North Carolina, where the University of North Carolina is. Go Heels. And my parents were very into uh, old movies, old books. I'm named after Ernest Hemingway's first wife, Hadley Hemingway. And uh, my mother was obsessed with old Hollywood. So from a very early age, I watched My Man Godfrey and The Awful Truth and all of these movies. I was obsessed with Guys and Dolls because my father loves uh, musicals and jazz. And so we had all these huge old MGM, like the Glory Years books and stuff in my house growing up. So I would constantly read these books about old Hollywood and look at these glamorous portraits of the stars and so I was always like, Hollywood is my place because I loved the stories behind the movie stars because so many of them had these kind of very rough and tumble beginnings and kind of mysterious beginnings mm -hmm. and had kind of shady lives. Mm -hmm. And my family I always say we wouldn't sit around the dinner table saying like, what did you do today? We'd be like, who was Cary Grant's fourth wife? Like it was a really weird childhood. <laughs> so I came by it very honestly. And then also I had a, uh, I had an uncle that I call Ed the head. He's not my real uncle. He's my dad's best friend. And he's a writer and he would drop off for Christmas, these bags of presents that he would get from secondhand stores. Mm -hmm. And he loved European history. So he'd always give me a bunch of like old royalty books and stuff oh. from used bookstores. So I just very early kind of loved history in all of its forms. Plus, when you grow up in North Carolina, you hear so many like histories that are tied with legends and ghost stories like mm -hmm. the Lost Colony where did Eleanor dare go? Blackbeard's ship. So there's all, there's this history kind of permeated everything. And to me, LA was like the golden, the golden site of glamorous history that was always just out of reach. And then you got here. And then I got here. And I realized that Hollywood is like the least interesting thing about LA. Uh, that's a very interesting conclusion to make. <laughs> um, how did you get here? Okay, so I got to L.A. because I always thought I'd end up in New York. Mm -hmm. And when I was in college, I went to a really small girls' school called Hollins University in uh, Roanoke, Virginia. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of half Pearl Girls who become drunk, rich Virginia moms and another half super creative, innovative, LBGTQI free spirit women who become like modern dancers in New York. Right. So it's a really cool school. And I did study abroad in London and I was obsessed because of my obsession with royal history with Prince Harry. <laughs> and so I was reading Vanity Fair one day in college and I saw there was this new company called Quintessentially, which was run by Camilla Parker Bowles's nephew, Ben Elliott. Okay. So I just emailed their public email and said, can I have an internship when I come to study abroad in London? 
and I got it. So in London, I was working for this luxury concierge private members club when I was 19. It was a crazy, crazy semester. Mm -hmm. I met a lot of people. I got very jaded about what demi aristocrats are like. And then I kept working for them from the university I was at and went up to New York to uh, do work for them during J term, which was like a mini term. And they told me they were going to hire me when I got out of school. Mm -hmm. So they said, come up to New York my senior semester and we're going to talk about the terms of your deal. So I went up to New York and Ben Elliott, who's this very like dramatic aristocrat who was... (laughs) not going to say it, but he was, he's quite a character. He sat me down and told me, Hadley, you're too smart to work with our guests because you'll make them feel stupid. So you can be my unpaid apprentice for six months. And it basically was like a kiss off. And he was like, anyway, you told me you want to be a writer. So after that meeting in New York, I walked around New York sobbing and I went to the Met and there was a Les Liaisons Dangerous exhibit of uh, a bunch of like Marie Antoinette era rooms and dresses. And I sobbed and I was like, I'm going to L.A. instead of New York or London. And that's how I ended up in L.A. It was literally like me flipping out and making a rash, quick decision. And here, here you are. How many years later? Uh, that was in 2004. And I moved out. A couple months after I graduated in 2004. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess you chose right. Um, when did you realize that the non-showbiz aspects of Los Angeles were more interesting to you than what everyone thinks about Hollywood? It's really interesting. I got out here and believed the lie that LA's boring, LA has no culture. Mm-hmm. And then I slowly on my own, because I really like to wander and I like to explore and drive forever my parents are like that too we've always been people who just like to drive in circles and like listen to music Mm -hmm. and so i would just drive around the city by myself and i discovered oh my god there's all of these like what is what is this place called Overa street what is what is thai town what is these weird ports of long beach you know there was just all of this awesome stuff that i didn't know anything about Mm -hmm. And all these different cultures that I had no idea had been here so much longer than Hollywood had been here. Mm -hmm. And so it was just a slow evolution of, you know, going to different weird museums, going to the Autry Museum, which is like two miles away from where I live, but has all this cool stuff and realizing there is so much history in L.A. that has been pretty untapped because Hollywood, rightfully, because of its glitz and glamour and its impact on the world, which has been enormous through Mm. its output, has sucked up all the historians basically in L.A. And so, so much uh, fertile ground is left for actual L.A. history that has nothing to do with this one industry that's come to dominate the public's idea of what Los Angeles is. That makes sense. But your history here has not been entirely separate from Hollywood. No, because I still love Hollywood history. Mm -hmm. And I still, you know, my kind of one of my things I'm most interested in in L.A. history is this idea of one, shady people in a sunny place. Mm -hmm. And two, this constant reinvention that you can come out here and totally reinvent yourself and make yourself into whatever you want it to be. Mm -hmm. And. A lot of people in Hollywood did that, and I find them very interesting, and they succeeded. 
But then there's a lot of people, a lot more people in L.A. who failed. So I think both are interesting. Mm -hmm. So I love to write about, you know, lots of L.A. uh, Hollywood people when I get a chance. But there's a lot of people who've already done that really well. True. And so unless it's a story I feel like hasn't been told or I don't have anything to add to, I've got this huge pile of stuff in this other corner of L.A. history that hasn't really been touched. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's just kind of also going where going where you can tell something new. I think that's a good plan. Mm -hmm. And I think that is reflected in uh, the first season of Underbelly L.A. I agree with that. Absolutely. The little known lost tales of shadiness and sadness. And in the second season, you're going to be exploring more of those. And uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about how you decided what theme we're going to do? Absolutely. Well, I decided that we were going to do this theme because I have written several articles and always been fascinated by kind of tabloid culture in L.A., in the teens and 20s, it really exploded. And also legit media in L.A. was still very much tabloidy, mm-hmm. like the Examiner and the L.A. Times. They were constantly I mean, it was still basically yellow journalism. Mm-hmm. You know, the Chandlers and Hearst were constantly fighting for people to uh, buy all of their papers. So they really focused on sensational crimes and they loved like we love today hot women who killed people or were going out of uh, expected societal norms for women at the time. Okay. And there's just a plethora of women in the 1920s who got all of this media coverage in LA who were killers or desperados. So the second season is Fatal Flappers. Oh, that's And good. we're going to talk all about these women who... Uh, Killed people and looked fabulous and nuts while doing it. That is a that is that is a great enticing summary. Yes, I, I look forward to that. So we're starting research. You're start you're starting research on that, and we're going to be recording in April. Yes, we're right going to start recording in April, and uh, hopefully have it out to you by early summer. I would think. Right? I, that's that's the basic plan. Yeah, maybe early June. That's the plan. And the great thing about this season is we have so many amazing uh, visual components to these stories. So you're really going to be able to not only hear me talk about it and the murders, but also get a sense of what these women look like, what the scene, the media circus was around them. And uh, there was also a lot of interest in like talking to these ladies once they got into prison, you know, it's kind of like girls gone bad stories. Mm -hmm. And it kind of folds into Hollywood, too, because a lot of the stories of these women really influenced writers like Chandler, uh, who then kind of made the archetype of the femme fatale and film noir and what we think of when we think about kind of that seamy not to be punny, underbelly of Los Angeles that has become so famous worldwide of kind of the noir vixen in the big, dark, anonymous city. That sounds that sounds sexy. It's very sexy. I mean, what's sexier than a hot murderer? <laughs> right? People, people are going to be psychoanalyzing you for saying that. Um, <laughs> outside the scope of this next season, um, just off the top of your head, are there L.A. stories that you look forward to telling one day? Well, I'm super excited about telling y'all the story of Griffith J. Griffith Mm -hmm. because he is my favorite patriarchal character who has been lionized, who was a piece of shit. (laughs) 
And my goal in life is to let everyone know what a piece of shit he was. For people who are listening, he is best known for... (laughs) Donating Griffith Park, which is this magnificent park in L.A. And he also shot his wife in the face and did a bunch of other really scandalous stuff. Mm -hmm. But yet his statue is still up in Griffith Park. And, you know, Griffith Observatory is named after him. And it's also that kind of thing I'm really fascinated with, which is shades of gray dichotomy. Is anyone all good or all bad? No, probably Mm -hmm. not. And uh, also just this kind of L.A. myth of uh, L.A. has had a very masculine energy for a very long time in the American period. Mm -hmm. And so it let a lot of really shady shit go down because men were trying to push out that this city, especially during the Victorian era and into the 19 really fifties, the male boosters of this town were trying to push out this weird image that we were like this sunny, middle-class, Christian, temperate place, you know, full of industry. We didn't have unions because everyone was treated well. And we have all these churches come on out. And yet they were doing all this incredibly illegal stuff under the surface. So you really had brewing just massive hypocrisy at every level which is one of the reasons I think the city became such a hotbed for vice and crime and dirty deals. Because when you're living such a lie of presenting what the city is compared to what it is, you know, it's it's going to eventually corrupt the soul of the city. Right. The shadows in the sunshine. Exactly. Griffith W. Griffith, please do that at some point in the future. That sounds like a multi-part exploration of a person who's like completely wackadoo. And most people don't realize he even really existed outside of the statue, I'm sure. Right. And he he also reinvented himself. Like he he was not who he said he was. He would say he was a colonel, which you see again and again in early LA history, men giving themselves military titles. And since they've come from the East or from another country, no one really checks up. Right. Because you can't look online and like confirm that this person won, you know, this medal in this war right. back in the Victorian era. It's a good thing that people don't try to get away with reinventing themselves now in Los Angeles. Oh, yeah. No, they never do. They never do. There's a lot of historians in L.A. just to tell everybody who that's not their real name. There's a lot of tour guides who that's not their real name, just to let you know. But it still goes on. You really are Hadley. I'm really Hadley Hallmears. I have not changed my name. Though I might soon because all these little babies are being named Hadley and it's really pissing me off. That is happening a lot now. I've noticed <laughs> yeah. that. So speaking of reinventing yourself, though, I have to ask, uh, people have asked me, um, what's up with her accent? And, I'm, <laughs> and they've guessed where you might be from. I'm like, no, she's just from North Carolina. Um, why do you, uh, you sound... Like a graduate from the uh, Ariane Huffington School of Unplaceable Accents? <laughs> okay. The reason for that is, first of all, I'm from Chapel Hill, like I said, which is a college town. So most of the people I grew up with were not from the South. Mm-hmm. They were like from their parents were from, you know, Japan. Their parents were from the North. People are not from the South in Chapel Hill. However, both of my parents, my family has been in North Carolina on both sides for like 300 years. And so my mother has like a real genteel, like Eastern North Carolina accent. Like she doesn't say, uh, she says quesadilla. Like it's a very old accent. And then my dad has like an Eastern Tennessee, like kind of very Dolly Parton accent. So I grew up with these two very strong Southern accents, but like they would get made fun of in my hometown for having accents, even though it's. It's their state, whatever. I have a little bit of bitterness about that on right. their behalf. 
And I also watched all these old movies all the time. And I, I was living in my head all the time thinking that I was like Grace Kelly or Catherine Hepburn or somebody. Na- naturally. Naturally. So I kind of picked up this phony mid-Atlantic accent and I was obsessed with England. So I picked up a little bit fakeness there, too. So it just kind of there's this great line in Breakfast at Tiffany's where someone says about Holly Golightly, she's a phony, but she's a real phony. Mm -hmm. And that's how I always like to think of myself. You should put that on a business card. (laughs) I know, right? Uh, so here in Los Angeles, uh, if people are waiting for the second season uh, and want to take in some cool LA history stuff, where would you suggest they go? Like just to have a look around and experience something old but new to them? I would definitely suggest coming on my tours because I lead a lot of tours for Atlas Obscura about old history. I lead a really fun tour, speaking of Hollywood of uh, what was the old, uh, it was called the Gold Coast of Santa Monica, where a lot of early movie stars had mansions. And you can still, we walk on the beach and we talk about the stories and all the parties and scandals that went on in these mansions. That's a really fun one. I also lead a tour of the old zoo in Griffith Park, where we talk a lot about the history of zoos and of animal rights, and it gets into a lot of crazy stuff. And I lead a really fun tour that's actually my personal favorite tour of the Lost Graveyards of L.A., And that's where I talk about the first four original graveyards of Los Angeles, which we'll definitely probably do a series on that. And uh, how they all were either dug up or left to rot in the first 100 years of L.A. as the city became this giant metropolis from this little tiny Pueblo. Mm -hmm. And then for Cartwheel Art, every Saturday I lead an underground L.A. tour where we go to some alleged speakeasies underground in downtown L.A. And that's really fun. I've been on that one. Oh, yes, you have. We we got a shot. That's right. And you get a free shot. So that's great, too. But not uh, self-promoting in terms of cool places to go. I would say definitely go to Greystone Manor, which mm-hmm. ties into our first season. It's a beautiful public park in Beverly Hills now. It's an amazing piece of architecture. And, of course, there was a murder-suicide there that we talk about on one of our episodes. I would also suggest going to one really awesome place that a lot of people don't know about that's actually in Orange County. is called Crystal Cove. And it was uh, originally in the teens and 20s, they were filming silent movies there that had like a island theme. Mm -hmm. And then squatters came on the beach and started building little makeshift cottages from old movie sets and stuff and from uh, ships that had crashed or washed ashore. Oh, wow. And now it's a publicly owned amazing park that has all these amazing little cottages right on the beach and uh some of them are still family owned and there's a restaurant and it's literally like walking back in time to like a dirty dancing time or something and there's a restaurant right there and you can stay in some of the cottages but they fill up like years in advance because they're very cheap because the government rents them out to people right and i highly if you want to feel a full immersive experience of another time in southern california that really shows you what la was like kind of at the height of it actually being kind of a paradise Mm -hmm. i really suggest crystal cove because it is just so fantastic. And then another place I would suggest going is the infamous Murphy Ranch. 
uh, which is a hike into the mountains, and you find the ruins of what was allegedly a Nazi compound. I went on that tour with you as well. Yes, you went on that tour with me as well. We might be starting that tour again. I'm not sure, though, because they're slowly... uh, destroying a lot of the stuff that remains there because it's such a public health hazard and kids fuck there and tag there and stuff. But it's a fascinating place and full of mystery and uh, you can really make up whatever story you want and you see all these ruins in the midst of these mountains and it's just a really cool place to go. And also, honestly, the Natural History Museum Mm -hmm. by USC is a really cool microcosm of old Los Angeles. And that area is where the first LA Museum was. That's actually where all the collections used to be before they split off. Yeah, and the Rose Garden right in front of there, that was named Agricultural Park. And that was where like horse racing was and the longest bar in the world supposedly was there and people would get drunk and there were sex workers. And the L.A. Coliseum's right behind, which has so much amazing history and Olympic history. Mm. So it's just all over Los Angeles. You just have to know where to go and be willing to go to a different part of town where you might have to drive for a bit. Also, the Autry Museum, what you mentioned earlier, is someplace that I think people drive right by if they're cutting through Griffith Park and don't realize how much cool, like their rotating exhibits are cool, but they just have a lot of like essentially Los Angeles history items there. They have so much cool stuff there and they have like old stage coaches and a lot of Wild West themed stuff. And if you like old cowboy movies, which I do not, but they have a lot of like Gene Autry who donate, you know, they have a lot of uh, old cowboy stuff. And it's also a great place to take kids mm-hmm. because they have a lot of, you know, horse stuff, things that kids are into that are is very you can teach them about history in a very interactive way. Right. Which is always really cool. Yeah, I think the Autry Museum is a really hidden gem of Los Angeles. Are there any books or movies or podcasts or other uh things that people can immerse themselves in that will teach them about Los Angeles history? I would absolutely say for Hollywood history. Karina Longworth's podcast, you must remember this, really is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And I'd highly suggest that if you're more interested in the Hollywood Hollywood side. Uh, If you are looking for a fun book about L.A. as a whole and Hollywood in particular, I would highly suggest David Niven, the debonair actor of the mid-century's recollections of Hollywood's in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, Bring on the Empty Horses. Mm-hmm. I've read it since I was like 12, again, because of my mother. It's like one of my religious friends once saw me carrying a tattered copy around in high school, and he was like, that's like your Bible, isn't it? And I was like, yes, <laughs> basically. It's so filled with stories of golden age Hollywood, and it's so much fun. In terms of straight up early L.A. history that's very focused on the shady side that I actually quote a lot in the first season, I highly recommend Eternity Street. Mm-hmm. It's an amazing book that really gives you a breakdown of the Rancho days of Los Angeles, of the early, early American days, and all of the desperados and characters and gunslingers who were coming through L.A. It's a really, really fantastic book. I'd also say if you want to learn about like the swinging 60s, 70s, avant-garde, sexy culture, 
One of my favorite chroniclers, bar none, of Los Angeles is Eve Babbitts, who is a fabulous socialite and uh, had an affair with Ed Ruscheh and slept with Jim Morrison and is a brilliant writer. And she wrote a bunch of books. Uh, one of the best is called Eve's Hollywood, and it's her memoirs of L.A. during this really particular time. And in terms of fiction, another fantastic book that gives you a sense of especially downtown L.A. and is one of my favorite novels about L.A. is uh, John Fonte's Ask the Dust. Mm -hmm. And it's all about an Italian-American guy who comes to L.A. He wants to write the great American novel, but he kind of gets lost in Los Angeles and downtown and the seedy bars and uh, the kind of sad people. And it's just so evocative of a certain snapshot of kind of the underbelly of Los Angeles. And if you're looking for a good kind of overall overview of real snippets of L.A., I wrote an L.A. History 101 for Curbed L.A. that tells you little bits of important L.A. history and uh, gives you links of where to find more information about it. We can make a link to that in the show notes. Perfect. That actually brings up what I was going to ask you next. If people want to see some of the work you've done, where might they look for it? Well, I've written a lot. I write a lot for Curb Los Angeles, so a lot of my architectural histories are there. I've written a lot of fun. If you want to see some of my not LA-centric stuff, I've wrote a lot of fun feminist histories uh, for Atlas Obscura. Mm -hmm. I write for The Hollywood Reporter. I write for LAist, uh, LA Magazine, The Old LA Times, Aeon. So if you type in Hadley Mirrors and look any of those places... Uh, you can also find me. I've done. I've been on a lot of documentaries and stuff, but I can't remember their names off the top of my head. And uh, of course, my tours. So yeah, just type in Hadley Mears history and see what comes up. I don't even remember a lot of the stuff. And people might also see you on the back of your head on <laughs> Parks and Recreation. That's right. So. Uh, one of the things I didn't mention, because I don't like to talk about it, but when I came out to L.A. initially, I thought I was going to be a movie star. And then I got a job as a stand-in on the show Parks and Recreation. I was Amy Poehler's stand-in. And within, like, the first three weeks, even though it was a wonderful time, it was the most wonderful cast and crew, uh, I owe my writing career to it uh, because... I had all this downtime and I was just being my computer and write free articles for Catherine Spires when she was starting out at places. And uh, but I figured out very quickly, I hated acting. <laughs> I hated set life. It was not for me. My parents are writers. i had always actually written more than I acted. And I didn't want to be a movie star. I wanted to write about interesting lives. And it's like I had gotten them conflated in my head. Easy to do. So, yes, you can see my back and my front in certain episodes of Parks and Recreation. I'm actually in the last episode sitting next to Jim Oh, okay. O'Hare. So you can see me. And I didn't know I was going to be on camera, so I do not look good. So I don't really want you. You look like a typical Pawnee resident. Yes, okay. but the Parks and Rec was a wonderful experience. And it taught me that there's so many good people in L.A. It was just the most fun pre-Me Too era set. Right. <laughs> where uh, people got away with a lot of shenanigans that were very fun. Okay. Yeah. Does this mean that Amy Poehler would have dictated your hairstyle for... Amy Poehler dictated my hairstyle for many years. However, the crew at Parks and Rec, I later also did a show with them called Angie Tribeca. Mm -hmm. The crew was so easy and cool and chill that like I stood in for Jim sometime. I stood in for Retta. I, my claim to fame in my own mind in terms of hotness is I got to stand in for John Hamm once. Oh, wow. So, 
That's good. Yeah, like I had to have a bob sort of like her, but if I didn't, nobody cared there. Okay. Because they were so slack and they knew how to light me in terms of her face. And I did write an article all about being a stand-in for Atlas Obscura if you want to read more what the experience of being a piece of human furniture is like. We can. We, that's <laughs> a great way to put it. We can put that in the links as well. Yes. Um, another thing we're going to put in the links is a link to the Underbelly LA Patreon. Uh, yes. Either click it in the links just go to patreon.com slash underbelly LA. Uh, if you don't know, you probably know because you listen to podcasts. Uh, Patreon is a way to give the podcast you love a uh, monthly pledge as little as a dollar a month. And uh, we use that to fund the cost of production. We do pay uh, Mika Grimm to edit this show, but also um, you're going to have to buy a lot of books to uh, <laughs> do the research for some of the, these upcoming seasons. I am. There's a lot, a lot of research that goes into these seasons. And a lot of the books that I have to get are out of print mm -hmm. are really hard to find. So every little bit helps in helping this uh, team make a really fun season of Fatal Flappers. Uh, we don't have the, um, uh, what do you call them? We don't have the tiers figured out just yet, but right. by the time the second season launches, there'll be like reward tiers. Like if you pay $5 a month, this is what you get Right uh, on on air. Thank you. Maybe is one of the uh, things we might give in the future. But um, as we move towards getting that second season out, uh, we're taking pledges for however much money you want to chip in for the cost of putting under belly LA out. Yeah. And every little bit helps, like we said, and we'll come up with some really cool prizes and gifts to give you um so please have a look at that and otherwise uh where can people follow you online for the time being hadley well you can uh, you can go to my website hadleymears.com uh it's pretty basic but it links to all my articles and p appearances and stuff and uh then also i'm on twitter at hadley mears i'm on instagram at hadley mears i'm on facebook at hadley mears consistent so i'm very consistent <laughs> so it's pretty easy to find and yeah i look forward to hearing from people thank you so much for this opportunity i've had so much fun doing the first season and i'm excited to do the second season too it was a lot of fun um thank you for coming in and talking about yourself for half an hour and i look forward to recording season two thank you so much bye Table Cakes Production. <laughs> <laughs>